0: Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Mark Safe. Tales of your very favorite and most beloved man made disasters. On Mark Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly. And now, here with your hosts, Brianna and Melanie, this is Mark Safe.
1: I have a serious question for you. I have a serious answer for you. I know you've been a little bit busy today, um, but I want to know your feelings on what happens if you're the person that implodes our mom group. What did I do? Did you miss it?
2: Oh, the meme thread? Mm hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. Let's talk about that. (laughs) I want to talk about it. So apparently, it seems like multiple people are confirming that Facebook is cracking down on political memes. Which is... Bananas. A little bit horrifying. How are we supposed to get through anything without our memes? I don't know. So, yeah, I I had a doozy of a day recently and asked for some... Uh, political memes as a pick-me-up and got a bunch and then the whole thread i think or at least no i think one photo and it got auto flagged and now we all have to be careful what we post so watch your backs on facebook guys yeah please don't implode our mom group i didn't mean to god damn it Brienne. god bless if political memes aren't safe what is it's the only friends i have (sighs) i know
1: I have another really important question. Okay.
2: Has to do Do you need a hot take?
1: It is a hot take. It's Oh good, thank God. The animal versus animal bracket.
2: Yes. Okay. So first of all, we need to set some maybe ground rules about this. Like what what are we Is this just in terms of who would win a fight, who I like the most, who's a better creature? What's the criteria here? I think all of those come into play. Okay, that's fair.
1: Like. That's definitely fair. Yeah. So, we got a couple suggestions. So, we're going to start, we're just going to do one a week. And then we'll go down the line. Okay. So, this week is a pig. All right. Mm-hmm. And you might have to Google this. I had to Google
2: this. I don't have to Google this. A harpy eagle. Harpy eagle wins fuck pigs. I hate pigs. <laughs> I fucking hate pigs. They're maybe my least favorite animal. Wait, what? Mm. I hate every fucking thing about pigs but do you even know i try to keep my strong curses for later in the episode but now we've got pigs and no but do nope. you know nope. what a harpy eagle is i don't care if it's satan himself it's not a pig oh my God. i'll google it real quick yeah i i will google a harpy hold on harpy eagle mm. right Another big i think oh my Right. Okay. No. Oh my God. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> oh. I can't quite describe this. It's it's a monster. <laughs> right. But it's not a pig, I think, so it wins. I think
1: the suggestion <laughs> was followed up with "Enjoy your nightmares."
2: I I I mean, shit. I'm not really the kind of person like the audio guy who wants to. Um, tame every weird bird and make it be my sidekick, but shit, I kind of do. No, like I, we, this week, as you know, uh, we had some credit card fraud where someone in Arkansas, fuck you, Arkansas, if we're doing a state bracket, you're going to lose, spent a a lot of money at Walmart (laughs) and our bank account, which just got sold, is being extraordinarily unhelpful won't fix it can't be reached and i feel like if i had a harpy eagle as a companion i might get farther
1: okay so you're so basically it's moving on because a you hate the fuck out of pigs Mm, you have no idea and two you feel like if you owned a harpy eagle you can intimidate people
2: to get what you want primarily a but b did you say a and two (laughs) i think you might have don't you love me i do primarily a but two is pro i love it from now on i'm gonna go a two c four you probably already were so that that is the hottest take i will ever deliver which is fuck pigs and the horse they rode in on
1: all right so harpy eagle i I couldn't
2: possibly hate a creature more than a pig (laughs) <laughs> i i could talk about this longer <laughs> i what really think that this pigs? Are... do you have nope. any
1: thoughts feelings?
2: no nope. no nope. nope. i mean obviously i hate real pigs way more um i believe that this started for me in the what was it? It wasn't the Silence of the Lambs. It was the one of the ones they did after, like maybe Red Dragon or Hannibal or something. So it um, has
1: a true crime aspect, like the... Maybe.
2: And there's that one scene where there's like pigs or hogs. Is there a difference between a pig and a hog? Is it like a mouse and a rat? I think. Maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was some swine. And they, they put <laughs> the guy's said body in there. Swine filthy swine it was uh some kind of swine and they put the guy's body in there and they all just they didn't think twice they just ate it yeah And i think that's terrible
1: um <laughs> so cody they had a pig growing up hmm. and it was the only time um my mother-in-law has ever
2: given the heimlich maneuver maneuver i almost said maneuver To the pig? To the pig. Okay. Let it go. It died. But do you want to know what it choked on? A person? What? A hot dog? Oh, no. Aren't those usually pork? Yeah. Oh, no. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, that's terrible. Oh, and it, it, it died from that? Yep. It choked on a hot dog. Doesn't she know you're supposed to cut hot dogs long ways? I know. People People <laughs> need to know this. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, I, I don't. No thoughts, no prayers for that pig. Sorry, Cody. I don't know if he still, he still has any trauma from that, but I have no sympathy for pigs. I recently, well, I guess not that recently because it was obviously before COVID. I recently saw a pig with a bunch of baby piglets nursing at the state fair and I remained unmoved. <laughs> so you're a monster. They're a little bit evil, I believe. I understand that they're smart but that does not preclude them from being evil. Oh my gosh. This is the easiest round. Since there are no raccoons in this, this will be the easiest round.
1: There will be no raccoons in no the because entirety. they would win. Yeah. Of the bracket. I'm trying yeah, to make no, this they... as fair as possible.
2: <laughs> well, if you knew about pigs, you would have known that that isn't really. But I don't think I have any other animals that I feel so strongly about. So, what well, we should be good going forward. Okay. Harpy eagles advance to the next round. Woohoo! Um... Nature hot takes with Brianne. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast I always really wanted. Well, I have
1: another animal to talk about. Okay. Butterflies.
2: Oh, did the audio guy send you something? Are you talking about the Furbies? No, I'm not talking about Furbies, Melanie. You're the only one still talking about Furbies.
1: No, the audio guy didn't send me anything oh, about it. Oh, because
2: right, first of all, the audio guy's terrified of butterflies. Second of all, right before I came in here to record, he sent me a link and said, see, I knew it. And it was about butterflies eating, like, sweat and rotting things. That's fancy. What, what were you going to say about butterflies? And I was like, is he just sending this propaganda to everyone he knows? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it tracks for him, but wow. Butterfly
1: propaganda?
2: Oh, you have no idea.
1: <laughs> Let's make a meme out of that. <laughs>
2: I was just going to segue... What's your butterfly thing?
1: I was just going to segue into my episode. Oh, there's butterflies in
2: your episode? Mm, kind of. Okay. That's alarming because I know the general topic of your episode. Yeah, don't get too uh, excited. Why? are you? Do you have a bad episode?
1: It's going to be heavy, I think. Okay. I'm thinking about it now. Yeah, it's a little heavy. You're... Melanie, you're just not realizing it's heavy. I think I'm becoming desensitized.
2: Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I'm well, kidding. I mean, do I'm we kidding. lose a school full of children at any point? Like your last bad one? It's not a school full. Okay. Well, it's something. <laughs> it's it's Step in the right direction. Not as heavy as that, I promise. Okay. All right. I I imagine that's probably the, the bar for this yeah we're we're below that yeah like on a scale of one being canada the the mishawaga however you say it, it's Wag- 10 don't don't try to make me know that because i can't <laughs> to 10 being a school full of children burning to death where's this
1: i'd say a solid five okay all right
2: all right let's go all right tell me a story
1: in January 1982, Robert Silberglide was in Washington, D.C. for the annual meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science in Washington.
2: Mm. He loved
1: butterflies, and he had become a full time research entomologist at the Smithsonian Institute for Pro- Tropical Research in Balboa, Panama. The 35-year-old's research of ultraviolet reflectance patterns of butterflies and flowers led to a new theory of butterfly courting. So, Okay, hold on.
2: Can I tell you that it always makes me so happy that there are people in the world who get it into their head to devote their lives to this random shit? Because it's like, the world is so intricate, it's full of so many ecosystems and, and... things and little things and details and we really need to know about it for various reasons but like who the fuck wants to devote their lives to butterflies somebody thank god robert does we okay i'm glad somebody does
1: robert does somebody needs to and he's come up with a new theory it's really cool it's butterfly hanky panky oh okay i just think it's really neat because it's like the wing patterns and the colors of the butterfly are, like, specific to their mating rituals. Wow. That's really cool. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Robert himself was courting too. At mm-hmm. the Smithsonian in Washington, he had met and fallen in love with another entomologist. Oh, that's romantic. Another bug person. Isn't that cute? I love that. I love when nerds find each other. Oh, it's the best. On the morning of January 13th, 1982, Robert proposed and the two spent the rest of the morning daydreaming about their future. They would move permanently to Panama and raise butterflies and their children, two they had hoped for, in the jungle. Oh. As the pair daydreamed, the I feel like
2: this isn't going to end well.
1: As the pair daydreamed, the weather outside began to take a turn for the worst. Oh, no. Robert had a flight at 2.15 that afternoon as he was oh, returning no. to Panama for his research, but not before a pit stop in Florida to tell his parents the good news about his engagement.
2: Oh, just call. Just call him. Take a different flight. I've got
1: a bad feeling. Despite the bad weather and his fiance's pleas to reschedule his flight, Robert insisted that he did not miss it. Mm. Even when the car skidded on the icy roads, hitting a curb, he still managed to make it on time to the Washington National Airport, and the snow continued to fall. Washington National Airport, um, it's known today as Reagan National Airport. It's like just a small little airport outside of D.C. This is actually the airport that if, unless you've been living under a rock, the one where the mob of Trump supporters and, like, QAnon (laughs) followers were screaming traitor at Lindsey Graham. did You
2: you saw that, right? Uh, Yes. Yes, of course. That's the airport we're at. Oh, okay.
1: Because it's so... Very
2: very topical.
1: I know. I was like, oh, when I saw it on the news, (laughs) normally I'd be like, ha-ha. But I was like, whoa, that's a part of my episode.
2: Wow. I'm sure you were also like, ha-ha. Yeah, I was. Okay. Mustard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because it was so small, a winter storm could easily shut it down. And on January 13th, that's exactly what happened. Between 1 30 and 2 53 p.m., the airport closed for snow removal and a dusting of sand while passengers waited impatiently to board their flights. While the passengers waited inside the terminal, five crew members waited inside the Boeing 737. The crew on Air Florida Flight 90 consisted of Captain Larry Wheaton, 34, First Officer Roger Pettit, 31, and three flight attendants, Kelly Duncan, 22, Donna Adams, 23, and Marilyn Nichols, 25. And if those aren't the most 80s names, I don't know oh what my to ass. tell
2: you, right? Yeah. yeah. Kelly, Donna wait isn't that
1: 90210
2: i can i can literally smell the hairspray you know i never saw 90210 melanie god damn it we have got to update you You on these pop
1: culture references (laughs) i sent you a buffy gif the other day that you did not get and it's god can you just like do you have hulu Uh uh-huh please can you just binge buffy for me i want your hot takes
2: no, well, uh, see, you're getting me where it hurts. Please,
1: I really want your hot takes, uh, specifically on the whole Spike Angel thing. But you have to watch it.
2: It's vampires. I'm I'm gonna say,
1: consider, I will consider it. it. There's
2: there's a ten percent chance I'll do it. How do I push you to
1: like fifty?
2: I mean, bringing the hot takes brought it from negative ten to ten. So let's 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 be happy with that for now. Okay. I'll work on it. So
1: first officer Roger Pettit was a former U S air force fighter pilot who transitioned to a commercial pilot career after his service. The 31 year old was bright, witty, and outgoing. And that day he would be the PIC or the pilot in command. You'll see this a lot where like the pilot and the first officer will like switch roles between legs of a trip um, it, okay. like, helps to build light hours because you can't just have one person doing all the shit. You know what I mean?
2: Like, yeah. You have I, to work. I would think it would help with fatigue, too, probably.
1: Yeah. So, and also, I, I post this on social media and I still am bothered that it's called a leg of a trip. It's... Oh, my God, Melanie. I want the origin story, like, and it's not legs because you I law. I
2: actually looked into that for you at length, and I really didn't find it. I know. It's bullshit. I want to
1: know. It's weird. Leg <laughs> of a trip. I hate it. So <laughs> that's my hot take. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so on this flight. Captain Larry Wheaton, he would be the SIC or the second in command, and he would be monitoring the instruments. Between 2 and 2.30, 74 passengers, including three infants, were allowed to board their flight. And during this time, Captain Wheaton requested that a de-icing truck operator start de-icing just before the airport was scheduled to open. So that way they could just like go ahead and get in line and departure. And there was like no hold up, you know mm-hmm like i said it's a tiny airport everything's backed up they want to get a move on yeah. so by 10 minutes into the de-icing the left side of the plane captain wheaton realized that the airport was not opening at 2 30 was not happening there's still snow coming down like there's no progress so he while they're de-icing the left side of the plane he terminates it he's just like stop it's pointless okay at 2.45, the icing commences once again on the left side of the aircraft. So, like, some time's pass, then they start it back up. So, they're back on the left side. Using a solution that was mixed based on an outside temperature of 24 degrees. It's winter, it's cold. They mix a solution dependent on how cold it is.
2: Wow, I did not know that at all.
1: So, after the worker finishes de-icing the left side of the plane, like, something weird happens, and I'm mean, it's weird to me. It, it's mentioned, so I don't think it's just me that thinks it's weird. The person that was de-icing the left side of the plane, he was relieved from his duties, and then a new person came in to complete the de- de-icing on the right side. That seems weird. Do yeah. you know why? No. There's no information on why. He mixes his de icing mixture um, based on outside temperature of 28 degrees. Like, that's weird, right? Because to me, this is like going to Fantastic Sam's and having one person cut one side of your hair, another person (laughs) cut the other side of your hair. And like, they're not communicating. They're just like, Yeah, I mean, it's like I'm going to lunch.
2: I guess you would think there would be more of a standard protocol so that kind of communication wouldn't even be that necessary, but apparently not.
1: No. So, yeah, one person did it at 24 degrees, and then he's like, I don't know, maybe go to lunch. I got this. And then, But they didn't, like, communicate what they were doing. I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like it either. So de-icing was completed 25 minutes from the start. While Air Florida Flight 90 was waiting to push back from the gate, snow still continued to fall. Edward Kovark, a passenger on an arriving flight, holding for gate space near Flight 90, you know, because it's crowded. He noticed that the plane had quite a bit of snow accumulation on the right side of it. And it must have been quite a sight because he like whipped out his camera and took a picture of Air Florida Flight 90. Oh, does that picture exist in the world? Yeah, it exists. And oh, that's okay. just thinking about that, like a photo, like you're like, oh, look, look at that. That's bananas. But, you know, and then it just takes on a life of its own, you know, yeah. with a couple of inches of ice on the ground. A tug was brought in to push the aircraft from the gate at 325 but with the amount of snow and ice coupled with a lack of chains on the tug, they didn't put chains on the tire, it didn't budge. This is when Captain Wheaton comes up with a brilliant idea. He suggested using reverse thrust to push the aircraft back. Now, reverse thrust is used primarily in the air to assist pilots in de- uh, accelerating their airplane prior to landing um, when it's engaged, it changes the direction in which the air comes out of the airplane's engines, allowing the airplane just to slow down. If you've been okay. on a plane before, you've heard reverse th- thrust when you're landing because it's fucking loud. It's that, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's reverse thrust. It slows okay. the aer- planer, airplane down. So he's like, we're parked. I'll just do this and it will like kind of push us out.
2: I feel like if you end up on a disaster podcast, you may have misjudged. And,
1: you know, because you can find everything on YouTube, there are plenty of reverse thrust compilation videos if you want to check them out. I don't feel like I should get on the internet and look up reverse thrust videos. I think my favorite reverse thrust video, uh, it's got the headline, reverse thrust, just amazing on wet runway. Could, Could be just the title though. (laughs) it is a cool it is a cool video because you can see everything it's they're landing and there's lots of swirling I watched it I wasn't being a total perv yeah you were yeah I was (laughs) so the captain suggests that they reverse thrust to help get out of the snow and ice but the tug operator reminded him that this is against airline policy okay you see In reverse thrust, the snow and ice could be sucked up into the engine. Oh, no. So what did Captain Wheaton do? Reverse thrust. He reverse thrust anyways. Of course he did. Witnesses said that both engines were operated at a reverse thrust for about 30 to 90 seconds and that they saw snow and slush being blown toward the front of the aircraft. One witness stated that he even saw water swirling at the base of the left engine outlet. But it was all for naught because the plane was still stuck. It did not work. So at 3.33, make a wish, the first tug was disconnected <laughs> and another better equipped tug was brought in. It had chains.
2: Um, I tell my kids. I feel like if you have to work this hard to get a plane to move, you shouldn't. Be doing this right well
1: why are you doing all this stuff with not the appropriate equipment too like yeah. you know there's snow, there's you know there's ice why are you bringing out a tug without chains i don't know yeah. it's just weird i tell my kids all the time like rule breaking shortcuts it's a waste of time just fucking do it right you know the first go around do you
2: say it to your kids exactly like that fucking do it right
1: <laughs> I'm going to give you the old what for. No. Not the old what for. The old what for. So, now ready to taxi away from the gate, because it worked. Captain Wheaton and First Officer Roger Pettit go through their flight checklist. Okay, Brian. Yes. I think we have a pretty clear picture of what the weather's been doing in our story, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and being a wife of somebody that's in aviation I'm typically against couch pilots like it really bothers me like if you see a, a plane crash or a helicopter crash and then everybody's like oh this 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 and this and I'm like
2: mm-hmm.
1: you don't there's so much that can go into it right. like just say but but I'm gonna break my rule we're going to play a game of pretend right now. Okay. Me and you are in the cockpit together. Hell yeah, we are. Mm. And we're going through this checklist. And I'm going to call out engine anti-ice. Would you respond okay. off or on um, for engine anti-ice? On? On? Right. I think. Yes. You want that shit off. It's fucking cold. (laughs) Yeah, because you don't want ice. You don't want ice. We want anti-ice. Yeah. So, yeah. So, if it was in fact off, would you agree that the appropriate thing would be to correct it? Yeah. Because this is a point of a checklist. Like, if you miss something, you're like, oh, shit. Let's fix it. Yeah. Well, Captain Wheaton responded off to the checklist item
2: engine anti-ice
1: and that and was even the,
2: though they know that ice is a whole big problem right now mhm i mean they were stuck Kay. yeah
1: but that was but that but they reverse thrusted they, you know what sometimes even a nice mm, reverse thrust <laughs> just
2: does. you just it. can't help
1: yourself <laughs> yeah. gosh i'm sure we're going to get hate mail for this one day
2: we're, we're children, yeah. honestly.
1: So, yeah, he he never corrected it. So, there we go. Captain Wheaton okay. is on a roll. With the checklist complete, Air Florida Flight 90 joins 16 other delayed aircrafts ready to depart, falling in line behind New York DC-9. I want to share a conversation uh, between Captain and First Officer in the cockpit, But to help differentiate between the two, I have asked Brianne to read it with me. And what did you say when I asked you? I said, I'm a trained voice actor. And I said, thank God, because I'm not. I've never done this before. I can't
2: even believe I'm trying this. I'm not either. I just have a lot of misplaced confidence. <laughs> I love your misplaced <laughs>
1: confidence. It's giving me a
2: boost. Good, because I have a lot of it. And the audio guy will be filling in as the PA system.
1: And there's a lot of, like, because they're joking around. There's a lot of laughter. Um, I don't want to, like, I can't laugh on command. Can you? So Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> <laughs> LOL. We should just throw
2: LOL <laughs> in every time.
1: So maybe uh, maybe Tag can throw in a a laugh, a track. laugh track on that, <laughs> okay?
2: Like a nineteen uh, seventies game show,
1: yeah. But if there's more than two people laughing, is that going to be weird? I think it would be great. And this needs to be I, lightened yeah. up anyway. So we're gonna take this really shitty transcript uh, from the CBR, and we're gonna we're gonna make it happier
2: yeah with a laugh track and uh the audio guy is the pa system
1: yeah and you're gonna In be a, a
2: cameo role
1: <laughs> yeah you're gonna be first officer roger yep and i'm gonna be the captain larry right.
2: okay are you ready to do this hopefully i won't fuck it up let's go no nah, you will so will I. here we go boy this is shitty it's probably the shittiest snow i've seen Go over the hangar and get de-iced. Yeah, definitely. De-iced. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. It's been a while since we've been de-iced. Tell you what, my windshield will be de- de-iced.
1: Don't know about my wing.
2: Well, all we really need is the inside of the wings anyway. The wingtips are going to speed up by 80 anyway. They'll, they'll shuck all that other stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> gonna get your wing now. Did they get yours? Can you see your wingtip over there? I got a little on mine.
2: A little. This one's got about a quarter to half an inch on it all the way. Look how the ice is just hanging on his uh, back back there. See that side there. What's impressive that these big old planes get in here with the weather this bad, you know, it's impressive. It never ceases to amaze me when we break out of the clouds. There's a runway anyway. Don't care how many times we do it. God, we did good. See all those icicles on the back there and everything? Yeah. He's getting excited there. He's got his flaps down. He thinks he's getting close. (laughs) See this difference in that left engine and right one? Yeah. Don't know why that's different, unless it's his hot air going into that right one. That must be it from his exhaust. It was doing that in the chocks a while ago, but... uh. I'm certainly glad there's people taxiing on the same place I want to go because I can't see the runway taxiway without these flags.
1: Where would I be if I were holding line?
2: I would think that would be about right here, Agreed. Maybe a little further up there? I don't know.
1: Ah, he's barely off of
2: it. I know it. This thing settled down a little bit. Might have been this hot air going over it. Don't do that, Apple. I need to get the other wing done. (laughs) boy this is uh, this is a losing battle here on trying to deice these things. it gives you a false feeling of security that's all that does. Where do you want to go?
1: I just don't want to blast them two lines right there I'm on it.
2: Yeah do you want to run everything but the flaps? Yeah start switches
1: they're on recall check
2: check. Flight controls bottoms tops good. Let's check these tops again since we've been sitting here a while. I think we have to go in here in a minute. Out of work. Flaps we don't have yet. Stab trim set at five point three. Set. Zero fuel weight. We corrected that up. Ought to be uh, seven nine one now. Seventy nine one now. Seventy seven. Seventy seven one. Set. Okay epr all the way 204 indicated airspeed bugs are a 38 40 44 set cockpit door locked takeoff briefing air florida standard slushy runway do you want me to do anything special for this or just go for it
1: unless you got anything special you'd like to do
2: and let's just take off the nose wheel early like a soft field takeoff or something i'll take the nose wheel off and then we'll let it fly off be out the three two six, climbing to five. I'll pull it back to about one point five five. Supposed to be about one six, depending on how scared we are. <laughs> Up to five, squawk set. Departure is eighteen one. Down to flaps. Oh, he pranked it on there.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we have just been cleared on the runway for takeoff. Flight attendants, please be seated.
2: Flight attendant alert. Given. Bleeds. They're off. Strobes, external lights. On. Anti-skid. On. Transponder. On. Takeoff's complete. Okay. Your throttles.
1: Okay. Holler if you need the wipers. Really cold here.
2: Got them? Real cold. Real cold. God, look at that thing. That don't seem right, does it? Uh, that's not right. Well...
1: Yes, it is. There's 80.
2: No, I I don't think that's right. Uh, maybe it is. 120. I don't know. V1.
1: Easy. V2. Forward. Forward. Only
2: want 500. Come on. Forward. Forward. Just barely climb. Stalling. We're falling. Larry, we're going down, Larry. I know it. So...
1: Basically, what's happening here is they're coming up with another, like, unconventional de-icing situation. When he's talking about Apple, like, don't do that. Like, I have to get my wings. They, what, basically, when they fell in line behind the DC-9, they scooted up real close, hoping that the exhaust would melt the snow, Off their plane from the DC-9. Really? Really. This is just stupid. Like, why? So the reason why they did this was because everything's super fucking backed up, right? And de-icing is obviously a process. So returning to get de-iced again would result in leaving their place in line. And the captain, he just didn't want to do it. So he's like, we'll just pull up really close behind New York DC 9. Um, the engine will melt the snow and we'll be good. Mm. They were not good. No. Only two minutes from the start of takeoff, Air Florida Flight 90 crashes into a very congested 14th Street Bridge, two miles oh, from the God. White House. Plowing through seven vehicles, the plane finally lands in the icy Potomac River. Two minutes. I mean, from takeoff. They were like up in the sky for like half a minute. Yeah. So now that we know what is going on in the cockpit, I'm going to rewind just a little bit and talk about what's going on as far as like the passenger side of the plane. Okay. Of the passengers on the flight that day was a businessman named Joe Stiley and his co-worker, Nikki Felch. It was his son's 13th birthday, and he was less than thrilled that he would have to miss it. Adding to the gloom, the reason he had to travel to Florida was to announce a series of layoffs when his, within his company. So it's a shitty day already, you know? Yeah. In a split second decision, Joe and Nikki, they decide to sit in the back of the plane in the smoking section. And that, it's so weird to think about, like, the.
2: Oh, my God. It wasn't
1: even that long ago, but, like, smoking on planes.
2: It That is, oh, my God. It breaks your brain.
1: It breaks my brain. Like, I was alive when this happened. You know, that. Yeah. So they go back all the way to the back of the plane um, in the smoking sections. So as the plane is beginning to take off, Joe knows that something's not right. You see, aside from his day-to-day career, he is also a private pilot. Quote, I got real nervous about halfway down the runway. Mm. Joe turned to Nikki and said, quote, we are in real trouble. He ordered her to brace for impact. Several surrounding passengers saw Joe and Nikki do this, and they just, like, followed suit. Um, And the aircraft began to shake, rattle, and then, obviously, it lost lift. 19 of the 79 total occupants were believed to have actually survived the impact, but their injuries prevented them from escaping the aircraft. Only six passengers would initially survive the crash and also making it out of the sinking plane. So Joe's fast thinking saved both his and Nikki's lives, and they were among the sick six. Joe remembered that the impact on the water actually felt far greater than the impact of hitting the bridge. Um, wow. And this actually caused him to lose consciousness as they hit the Potomac River
2: wow
1: yeah when he woke up to um, icy water splashing him in the face he noticed that his feet were trapped he unbuckled himself he got his feet free and then he turned around and Nikki was in a similar situation her feet were trapped too so he helped free her mind you they're underwater when he's doing this holy shit icy fucking water so despite the dark and murky waters the two saw a very small light And they just swam towards it making it to the surface the two were met with huge chunks of ice and debris like if there's um some really incredible footage i'll post all of it but these it looks as if someone had taken like a baseball and threw it through a window there's just like Mm -hmm. massive chunks of ice so they make it to the surface and there's all these ice chunks and Joe said, quote, now all of a sudden I'm in a frozen river surrounded by shreds of yellow insulation that had been a part of aircraft moments ago. So they swam towards some other survivors, um, and the whole group were just basically using the wreckage as flotation devices. Besides Joe and Nikki, the other survivors included Burt Hamilton, Arlen Williams, Priscilla Torado. And the only surviving crew member, flight attendant, Kelly Duncan. Bert, who described himself as supernaturally calm during the crash, said, quote, I looked up and I could see out, like looking out a big window. I remember unbuckling my seatbelt and I can't tell you if I walked, crawled or swam. You know, I just got out, went towards the light. I knew we were in a heap of trouble, but you never think crash. Matter of fact, as I was making my way out of the wreckage, I kept thinking it couldn't have been a plane crash because people don't survive a plane crash. You never think
2: crash. That's the only thing I think. Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> I, I think at that point... I'm thinking crash from be, the
2: minute I get on board.
1: He must have like just been in incredible shock. Like, that's the only thing I can think of, you know? Yeah. So the group of six gathered together hoping for another miracle. Joe said, quote... There we were in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of an icy area. At some point, a male voice started saying the Lord's Prayer, so we all
2: joined in on that. Oh God, those those details just get me.
1: Yeah, I, I was actually able to find a ton of footage, uh, a ton of interviews. Um, this was covered on a couple of the plane crash documentaries. So there's, there, there's a lot of really great um, sources in this. So um, there's a couple details that like I actually stumbled on that I'm glad that I just kind of kept at it or it wouldn't have been I wouldn't be able to find it. So 19 minutes from the point of impact with the bridge, Eagle One, a United States Park police Bell 206 helicopter made it to the scene of the plane crash. The heroicism and bravery in this instant in this incident, I'm serious, it like it knows no bounds. Because of the hazardous conditions, the tower actually called the helicopter back. They're like, abort, you know, it's it's just too bad. But helicopter pilot Don Usher and policeman Gene Windsor, they ignore the orders and proceed with the rescue efforts. Oh
2: effort. my god.
1: Pilot Don Usher said that the decision to ignore the call, despite the terrible weather conditions, were based on two things. One, he was very familiar with the area. And two, because the weather was so bad, and like I said, we're in D.C., we're two miles from the White House, so government employees, they left work early because of the snowstorm. Vehicle lights from the congested traffic Actually made the visibility better for him.
2: Oh, my God. Isn't that cool? I wonder, like, if if the traffic started to clear up, if they would have been like, no, just hang out there for a minute. We need your headlights. I
1: asked Cody about this because this is one of those things where I'm, like, glad I kind of stuck around because I found this in a very, very obscure place.
2: I thought you were going to say stuck around in your marriage so you could ask questions like this. Well, that too. Duh. I mean,
1: we have to have an aviation guy for our podcast, so I just Uh, got to grin and bear
2: it, I guess.
1: (laughs) In that reverse thrust.
2: Oh. You you keep getting babies from that reverse thrust. Uh,
1: Let me tell you. Um, So (laughs) when I saw, because initially I saw that, the tower called them back, right? Okay. So I like I always bug Cody for everything. That's helicopter included like all the time. So I'm like, "Babe, well, yeah. I'm like, babe, is this weird like why would they do that?" And he's like, "Yeah, I don't He's like, "It's the 80s." And yeah. he, and I'm like, "No, I talk to me." And he was like, "Well, he's like, "I don't agree with that because you could make it wind up making a situation so much worse yeah like if there's no visibility and then I found this and he's like okay now it makes sense like they they had a judgment call so Cody was actually telling me this other really interesting thing too like when it comes to like life light and stuff like that that the pilots, they don't really know the mission that they're on. Because they need them to be focused. Like, you can't tell them, you're flying to go rescue this baby. Mm. You know what I mean? Because then it's... Yeah. They're yeah. just like, this is where you need to go. And that's Completely, it. yeah. So it's... I don't know. It was, it was nothing I've ever... That
2: is seen. very... No, I never thought about that.
1: So... I don't know. It's really cool to have someone in aviation of be like, hey, this is weird. Can you suss this out for me? Yeah. The helicopter, they're going. We have six waiting for rescue. And I want to note real quick, uh, the survival rate of hypothermia in water below 32 degrees is 30 minutes or less. Um, Additionally, water robs the body's heat 32 times faster than in cold air. So there's no time to waste. Bert is the first to be rescued by Eagle One. Bert frantically grabs a hold of one of the skids of the helicopter when it lowers down. And Gene, the policeman, he tells him that he has to let go. Like, can you imagine the trust you have to have? Like, you think you're getting rescued, but you grab this helicopter and you're being told to let go. But Bert, he lets go. And then Gene, he lowers down a line to him. Now that Bert has a line, the helicopter brings him to shore where he's pulled up by rescuers. There's a ton of people watching this, you know, traffic and... Well, yeah. When the helicopter returned, the line was lowered to Arlen Williams. But Arlen was strapped in a seat and tangled in some wires. Not wanting to delay the rescue efforts like any longer, he's just like, I'm not going to sit here and try to untie and grab this rope. He passes the rope along to flight attendant kelly duncan and she wraps the line around her the footage yeah. of this is actually pretty incredible like she has it wrapped around her waist and then they pull her out of the water and she's just kind of twirling in the air and she's barefoot and she's wearing her flight attendant uniform but her pantyhose they're like torn shreds oh. and I don't know, it's it's those details that I find like yeah. super striking. Oh, absolutely. Cause me too. I know pantyhose like aren't a big thing these days, but back when they were, like you could really tell what kind of day you had by how your nylons <laughs> looked, you know? Yeah. I don't know. There was not enough clear nail polish for Kelly's pantyhose, <laughs> let me tell you. But Kelly Bless Kelly her. survived, so it's okay. Fuck those pantyhose. Yes. On the third trip, the helicopter again lowers the line to Arlen. Arlen again passes his opportunity over. One line with a flotation ring was grabbed by Joe, who was, after securing it around his arm, used his other arm to hold on to a clearly panicked Priscilla. Um, This ring, by the way, it wasn't something that was, like, already on the helicopter. It wasn't, like, a device they had. It was actually given to them from somebody on shore when they dropped off one of the survivors. And then they just took this flotation ring and tied it to a rope. Knowing that time was running out, Joe actually pleaded with the helicopter to drop a second line. And they did. Nikki grabbed a hold of it for a second. So they're just, they're going to take all three of them at the same time. The helicopter began to tow the three through the water to the shore and you just see these huge chunks of ice from the frozen river that are, like, smashing into them as they went.
2: Mm.
1: Nikki loses her grip and Joe, who's still holding on to Priscilla, like, he's, like, reaching out for her and they... Oh, my God. But she is, like, inches away. Like, he can't reach her as he's being towed. So he just gets towed right past her oh my god and so she's just floating there so moving closer to shore but they're also like hitting like more of the thickening ice where it hasn't really like broken as much joe started growing like super numb because hypothermia is setting in and he loses his hold on priscilla (gasps) as joe is pulled to shore video footage shows priscilla she's like clawing at the ice in like this oh god violent doggy paddle like it's the only way I can explain like she's just she's laying there like clawing and so the helicopter like throws the line that has the the flotation ring on it back to her but she's just like it looks like she's just swatting it away and the look in her eyes is like crazed and desperate and it's actually discovered later that what has happened is the fuel from the airplane has like temporarily blinded her like she can't see oh my god so she can't see the ring to grab it so yeah that's why like it looks like it looks bananas, but it's, like, she she can't fucking see. Like, she is panicked. Yeah. It's just, it's it's really, really hard to watch. She finally grabs a hold of the ring, and she's towed, like, a short way, but she loses her hold on it, and, like, her head starts bobbing
2: below the surface of the water. Oh, my God. This is so stressful. It's... I'm stressed out just listening to this.
1: So, Jean, he's, like, continuing to throw this ring to her, but
2: obviously she can't see it. I'm and very stressed out because you said there were six initial survivors.
1: Yeah. So, onlookers on this, like, the crowded bridge and shoreline, um, they're all about to witness her drowning. Joe said, quote, oh. all those people standing there, and no one could do anything. Fuck. Then, out of nowhere... A man with the most boss mustache ever plunges into the icy river, swims to Priscilla, and brings her to shore. Other onlookers using scarves and jumper cables to help drag them. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Larry Skutnik oh. said, quote, nobody else was doing anything. It was the only way. I just did it. When I got out of the water, I was satisfied. I did what I set out to do. <laughs> I mean, I bet you were. Mm-hmm. As Priscilla was being saved, the helicopter returned for Nikki, throwing the rope to her with no success. Because, you see, both of Nikki's arms are broken. She oh cannot God. even reach or grab for the lifeline. So, like, you know I said that um, I asked Cody a bunch of helicopter shit? Yeah. I, this was one of the things, because they can't. she can't catch the line, so... What happens is Don Usher, the pilot, he lowers the helicopter to where, like, the skids are just, like, barely touching the water, and they're super close to Nikki, like, five, in he got, like, I would have to say, like, watching the videos, the skid is maybe five inches from her, like, it seemed pretty badass, so... Yeah. Cody was like, yeah, that's that's definitely a high level skill. So, <laughs> he's he's lowering it and at the same time, Gene unhooks his safety harness and gets out of the helicopter like completely and is standing on the skids. And you see like the door of the helicopter just banging him. So, he's unhooked, he's on the skids and he bends over and he grabs Nikki. And Nikki, like, takes one of her broken arms and she just kind of wraps it around his legs. And then the helicopter goes up. Like, but she's still still kind of, like, just dangling off, right? Yeah. The whole thing is just so amazing to watch. It's like this really bananas balancing act. Like, they're just flying. He's just hanging outside of a, standing on a skid on the outside of a helicopter And neither one of them are connected to any safety harness. Like he's holding this woman and they're flying. I have to see these videos. I will post them. It is, it's incredible. It is, I I just, I'm blown away. Once Nikki is safety, to safety, Eagle One returned to the rescue of Arland, who three times was handed the lifeline, but three times selflessly passed it to someone else. You don't see much of Arlen in the news footage, aside from like you'll see his hands like clutching onto the wreckage because he's kind of behind it. In the you know, it's just the position of the way they were capturing the footage. When they returned to Arlen, it was too late. Wreckage that Arlen was pinned to had shifted, and he was submerged.
2: Oh, no.
1: Arlen would survive the plane crash, but ultimately he drowned before he could be rescued. Oh. 74 passengers on Air Florida Flight 90 died that day. Among the victims was scientist Robert Silberglide that I talked about earlier. Uh, When his body was recovered, in his pocket was a pair of laminated butterfly wings and a photograph of his new fiancé that she had given him that morning. Stop it. He had never had the chance to tell his parents the wonderful news about their engagement, but she reached out to them after the accident. Robert's parents invited her to their home in Florida, and she was finally able to share with him what he was never able to. That, so. Oh, my God. Isn't that so
2: sad? That is devastating.
1: She's Renee. Uh, she's has remained anonymous. Um, that's why I haven't mentioned her by name, because um, she has since. I mean, she has kept the the butterfly wings and all that stuff. Um, But she has since remarried and had children of her own. And uh, she's just not really ready to share that part of her life with them, you know. So when I initially found this disaster, I was actually not looking to do a plane crash like at all. I know I've mentioned before my distrust for America's infrastructures and bridges are like the tippy top for me. Like, they really? Fucking freaked me out. So, I'm thinking
2: about doing a bridge collapse for my next episode.
1: <laughs> that's what I was looking for. I was looking for a bridge collapse. And,
2: uh, yeah. It- well, I, I found- see how you ended up here.
1: Yeah. What I found most frustrating was the information available about this disaster, not on the plane part, but when it comes to the four victims that lost their lives, like, sitting in their cars in traffic you know what i mean yeah yeah i i literally spent hours looking for information i really struggled i don't know if it's because 1982 or or what but there's just it's all the plane victim stuff and i'm not saying like that's more or less important to mention them by name than those that died on the plane and i hope it's not coming across that way. That's not what I meant.
2: No, they're all victims. None of them woke up that day and expected to die, but the plane crash is a more glamorous disaster.
1: Right. These four, it just, anything I looked at, it, it just, it made me feel like they were a blip in the story. And I, I I just, I didn't want that for this episode. Um, so I am going to include them. There's, I mean, like I said, there's hardly anything. So, when it comes to Ray Bowles, I couldn't find anything at all. Joe okay. Nathan Pringle, 28. He was from Southeast Washington. Uh, he was a mechanic. That's all I could find on him. Michael Saunders, 33, was stationed at the Pentagon and had been heading home from work when his small Renault was hit. Lastly, mariella Spriggs, 27. She was engaged to be married and had just started a new job, running a word processor in McLean. Her mother actually spotted her daughter's brown Mustang on the news, saying, quote, I spotted this mm-hmm. little car, and I know there's 15 million of them, but I kept saying, that looks like her car. I just want to say, that looks like her car. I watched it all afternoon. Mariella's sister, Bet reasoned that, quote, if she had been in the plane, it would have been easier It was an unusual trip. It snows. You go home. But to be in a car and get hit by a plane, to see that on print on a death certificate hit by a plane, it's horrible. We haven't come to grips with Mariella's death. It's like a light's gone out in our lives. It's a bummer. Yeah. So those were those were the four victims on the bridge. Initially, it was easy to reason that Air Florida Flight 90 probably crashed due to the horrible weather conditions. However, other aircrafts, they successfully took off at the same time at the same airport, making it to their destination with zero issue. 82 Mm -hmm. divers from the U.S. Navy, Army, and Coast Guard were brought in to recover the CBR and the FDR from the icy Potomac. The CVR, the cockpit voice recorder, that's what we were reading earlier, and the FDR, the flight data recorder, were both finally recovered a week after the crash, and they only suffered cosmetic damage. The actual recordings and data were still intact, even with them being in the river for a prong- prolonged period of time. Both the CVR and the FDR were compared But there were timing problems with the FDR, and it was deemed unreliable. Even if they were in usable condition, FDRs during this time, they didn't offer data on what the engines were doing. So besides the obvious, very concerning conversation between Captain Wheaton and First Officer Pettit, investigators, they still needed more. Reliant on just the CVR at this point, they performed a sound spectrum analysis on it. And I thought this was actually super cool. Since this particular aircraft has wing-mounted engines and they're loud as fuck, the cockpit voice recorders, they actually pick up the engine sounds. Like you can hear them. Oh, wow. So basically...
2: Just like our mics.
1: Yeah. So basically, <laughs> they have their own audio guy, which probably isn't as cool as our audio guy. <laughs> but their audio guy, so he separates and then he isolates the sound of the engines from all the other shit that's going on in the background, like the conversation. It's just the engine sounds. So now that they have the, the sound of the engines by themselves, they can compare that to what a normal takeoff would sound like. And they can analyze it to determine if there were, like, any engine issues. When they did this, the results were dramatic. Air Florida's engines were only producing 70% power.
2: And the first off... It seems like maybe they could have... I mean, should they have known that? Um. Like, is that something that... I don't know. I feel like if my car was running that underpowered, it would, like, feel different and sound different and seem different. glad you said that because... Okay.
1: When we were reading our script, you you hear him saying like that's not right, you know? Yeah, that's true. The first officer, he's totally, totally aware of the anomaly in the engine instrument readings because an experienced pilot can feel thrust. So yeah. if, and and this is like driving. Like if you're think you're going 60, you can look out your window and tell if you're going like
2: 30.
1: You know what I mean? Like Yeah.
2: Yeah. You just I mean subtleties like that if you are not really that hard to feel. Right. So
1: 70% is just it's a big difference. So nothing matched up. So you see, when they use the DC9 to help de-ice their own plane, the exhaust gases gases from it it did melt the snow on the wings sure okay. but during takeoff instead of it falling off like they said it was going to in the transcript the slush mixture froze on the wings like the wings leading edges and the engine inlet nose con- cones so like the engines in this cone and you ha- it's all like getting sucked in there all the junk just went straight into the engines Here's a summary um, on the findings from the NTSB. Quote, The National Transportation Safety Board determines that the probable cause of the accident was the flight crew's failure to use engine anti-ice during the ground operation and takeoff. Their decision to take off with snow and ice on the airfoil surfaces of the aircraft and the captain's failure to reject the takeoff during the early stage when his attention was called to anomalous engine instrument readings. Contributing to the accident were the prolonged ground delay between de-icing and the receipt of ATC takeoff clearance during which the airplane was exposed to continual precipitation. The known inherent pitch-up characteristics of the B-737 aircraft when the leading edge is contaminated with even small amounts of snow or ice and the limited experience of the flight crew in jet transport winter operations. Wow. So that's what they that's what they found. I asked Cody to kind of talk about cockpit culture, like de-icing and cockpit culture because it's striking. He's like, the first officer's telling this captain like, hey, like, shit's off, like, stop like they had plenty of opportunity to abandon the takeoff. Yeah. And they didn't. He didn't fucking listen to his first officer. So I'm extremely
2: interested in the concept of cockpit culture. Yeah, so I need to know everything about it. Yeah, this. so
1: um earlier I pre-recorded a conversation with Cody, so we'll play that now. Hey, buddy, I am so excited that you're helping me out this week. Thanks for letting me bug you. Now that we have the NTSB report, I really want to pick your brain. Uh, we're very lucky to have someone in aviation that we can just kind of pull into our podcast.
0: Well, first off, thanks for inviting me to your podcast, buddy. It's only like episode 60-something. <laughs> so, yeah, I wasn't counting or anything. But now I'm actually really excited about this episode because... I think these crashes are pretty unique this day and age because you don't really hear about this as far as uh, contributing to accidents being ice and cockpit culture for one, which was the two big culprits of this accident. So the ice for one being a culprit because as you build up ice on a wing or airfoil, it basically changes the aerodynamic characteristics of that airfoil. Which, in large, with the type of ice that it was picking up, you know, that you read about during the NTSB report, is uh, basically large chunks of ice. Which, as you can imagine, like a wing and ice building up on it, it basically changes the shape of the wing. If it changes the shape of the wing, then it's not really tested to where that airplane's going to stall. So, a stall really means that that aircraft is not producing lift. So, where... You normally take off and you kind of point the airplane to the sky, right? As you're taking off that angle, you're, you're used to that. And all the procedures, all the, the testing from the manufacturer, the FA testing, the certification, et cetera, that angle is all certified per that aircraft, per the, uh, the type certificate as it comes out of the factory. Now, when you pick up ice, it totally changes the characteristic. So with that ice, you don't know where that air that wing's gonna stall essentially. So as you take off, you know, you could basically rotate to half of what you're expected and all of a sudden the, the airfoil stalls, which means uh the airfoil or wing is no longer producing lift. If it's no longer producing lift, then it's gonna fall to the sky as a result of gravity.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, and, and furthermore with ice back in these days is real interesting because as you read the NTSB report, it's almost like it's not taken seriously and working with the mix between like a younger and older generation of pilots to where they were flying back in the eighties or, or, you know, seventies, nineties, whatever the case may be. They explained to me as, as ice was never a problem until it was a problem, which means that they really didn't take it seriously because they didn't understand really what was happening to their airplane as this ice builds up right because you see a little bit of ice and it's it's almost as you know you see it if you see it in your car on your windshield on your uh, on the hood of your car, right it's probably not going to really affect you driving to your regular job but when you're relying on aerodynamics and ice is playing a huge factor in disrupting the airflow over the airfoil to the point to where you know an air, even like a little bit of frost, can basically reduce your lift capabilities up to 30-40%.
1: That's bananas. Okay, now give me the juicy cockpit culture gossip.
0: You just say cockpit culture. You don't have to really say it like that. (laughs) But no, I, I guess going back to the icing to where that era, it really doesn't surprise me that cockpit culture was an attributing factor. For the NTSB finding. Being that back in that day. The captain was really put on a pedestal. The first officer was basically just. Considered a a bag of sand. And only there to satisfy a requirement of the FAA. Of having two people in the cockpit right. So what ended up happening. Was that. The co-pilot would essentially be scared to death. Of this pilot or or captain that's on this pedestal. To actually like speak up when something's wrong. So one thing that I didn't really realize coming from the, a helicopter company or flying helicopters was that an airline pilot, when they go from you know, place to place, they're not really flying with the same crew or same pilot or same flight attendants. Basically, you could fly from Denver to New York with one crew and then fly from New York to Texas with a completely different crew. So you're really jumping in with somebody that you probably haven't even flown with ever in your entire life. And this guy is telling you basically to sit there, shut up, sit on your hands, and not press anything unless he tells you to do so, right? So you can imagine where that creates a lot of I guess fear or animosity in the in the cockpit. And too much so that this type of behavior has been identified as something that needed to be corrected throughout the years of aviation. So it's really interesting kind of as I went through my own journey as as a helicopter pilot is that this was, is something that's lagging in the helicopter industry compared to the airlines because as an airline, you know, you're dealing with so many more people and the FAA just has so much more scrutiny on this. But this day and age, being that it's been such a problem with the airlines and a lot of the other problems airlines have had, the helicopter industry is really trying to emulate this like for example the airlines for years now has called or has what's called an FCOM which is flight crew operations manual which basically tells the flight crew exactly how they're going to operate the aircraft so it doesn't matter who you're flying with you're flying to a standard that's based on a group level decision instead of the individual on the captain this is how we do it and, you know, as a first officer, you could be like, well, why is it that we do it this way? And the captain is going to be like, well, because I've done it like this way, you know, for 20 years now, blah, 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 blah. But as the uh, F-coms have progressed, it's really kind of taken that, you know, guessing away from the, the co-pilot and being like, okay, well, I don't have to conform to what this guy is telling me what to do. I need to conform with what my manual says. And it really made it to where... You know, as these scenarios where you're flying with a different crew from Denver to New York to New York to Texas, as you jump in with somebody you've never met and everybody's flying to the same standard based on this manual that's published by the company and approved by the or accepted by the FAA and trained in an actual training environment. Now it's operated this aircraft, you know, way safer than what it was because everybody's got their own job duties and responsibilities and we're just now, as a helicopter industry, starting to catch up to that to where it's really refreshing, you know, to fly with one guy one month and another guy and a completely different guy two two months later, and you're flying that aircraft the same way you did as if you've been flying with the guy for years now. So this accident is really just one of of many tragedies that had taken place, you know, as a result of the times.
2: Okay. So, first of all, we need to talk about how you really slowed that down and talked about the juicy cock pit culture.
1: <laughs> what do you think we're gonna have,
2: to have to... we're gonna have to have aunt beta we're gonna have to have Aunt Beta skip this one again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's my the life. one that said I should have more babies. You
2: are a hussy. I am a total Secondly, hussy,
1: and I wait. Like, am I supposed I... to like tame it down for my husband?
2: I think you're supposed to tame it done for your podcast, but I think you're you're spicing it up. You
1: know what? He's unamused. Mm-hmm. You heard him. You could just say cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were getting excited. He, he's dealt with me for so long.
2: He loves it. <laughs> anyway, Cody, you did a phenomenal job on that, and I I truly hope that that is not the last we hear of him because that was very interesting, and I would. Loved no more aviation intricacy. Yeah,
1: it, it it simplifies it down. It's really nice.
2: Yeah, it's really that handy when you're very interesting listen. when you're watching the Bachelor
1: franchises
2: because they're always in a fucking
1: oh, helicopter. There's a lot
2: of helicopters in that.
1: Yeah, I always be like, babe, come in here. What kind of helicopter is this? And he's and he's <laughs> like, I don't have to look. It's probably a fucking A Star,
2: like. <laughs> bottom of the barrel is is that is that a helicopter tea i need more context for that it's just
1: like a nothing fancy it's like the same things that you get when you like go and take a tour somewhere like they're not spending a hunk of money you, like hiring a helicopter for their tv shows in an a star
2: no i suppose that's not a surprise yeah but
1: yeah, wow. he, he always gets them. It's probably. I love an A-star. knowing
2: industry tea. That's my favorite thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I also wanted to add an update on some of the individuals that were involved in the disaster.
0: So yes, do.
1: Bert Hamilton, he died from a heart attack in his sleep in 2002 at the age of 61 before his passing he suffered constant pain from the crash and he fell into a deep depression for some time um finally not wanting to waste his new lease on life burt quit his job moved to florida with his wife and he became a motivational speaker giving speeches about life's ob- obstacles and survival wow kelly duncan it was impressive Kelly Duncan, the only surviving crew member, became a devout Christian after the crash. She's still alive. Um, she just had, I want to say six months ago, I, I, there was another interview of her posted that I just watched. She also survived tremendous survivor's guilt. She reasoned, though, that because of her faith, it allowed her to let go of the guilt because, quote, we think we control things that we don't. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Yep. Kelly keeps a large plastic bin that she stores videotapes, newspaper clippings, and photographs in of the accidents. She said, quote, this is not pleasant enough for me to make a scrapbook, but I want to keep it for my kids.
2: Oh, yeah. I have some things like that in my life that are not things you want to put. I actually call it my black box. (laughs) Things that you don't exactly want to keep, but you don't exactly want to get rid of.
1: I think everybody has... One of those. Yeah. The bummer box.
2: My husband does not at all. I don't he's a clean slate. Good for him. I know.
1: Joe Stiley said, quote, I have relived that thirty four minutes in the water many times. There is no distinct emotional effect that is permanent and I am not professionally prepared to describe. All right. Joe has shared his story, several documentaries about the plane crash. uh, I had mentioned earlier, he's in a lot of the, um, like May Day and the plane crash, the CBS plane crash, um, show. Nikki Felch seemed to have constant obstacles in her way after the crash. Fears that the events of the crash could have left her physically and emotionally impaired. She wasn't allowed to return to work. Quote, no one wanted to hire me back. She oh. she married and divorced and would eventually move in with her mom after a cancer diagnosis. She told the New York Times, quote, life did not treat me well this time. Nikki passed away at age 48 two weeks after fellow crash survivor Brett Hamilton. Um, she had lost her battle to pancreatic cancer.
2: Gosh. Fucking rough, right? Yeah, it seems like a lot of them, they, they just had a really rough go of it. Priscilla Torado was a very
1: private person. and She remained t- to herself after the accident, um, speaking very little to press and declining most in- interviews. Her father will usually speak on her behalf in the interviews and stuff. It-, it sounds like she has given him permission to kind of be, you know, her voice. She struggled with her new reality and rightfully so, um, because in that crash, she had lost her husband and her two-month-old baby boy.
2: Oh, no. Yeah. No, no, no.
1: Um, The only solace that she seemed to find was uh, volunteering in animal shelters. Mm. Arlen Williams was given the Coast Guard's gold life-saving medal. The repaired portion of the 14th Street Bridge that was hit by Air Florida Flight 90 was renamed in his honor as the Arlen D. Williams Memorial Bridge. And in 2003, an elementary school was built and named after Arlen in his hometown of Mattoon, Illinois. Lenny Skutnik received a ton of awards for his rescue of Priscilla Torado. These included the Carnegie Medal of Heroicism and the Coast Guard's Gold Life Saving Medal. He was critical of the press and felt that his story was turned into a commodity. Quote, a hero seems something to be bought and sold. He was given a wow. standing ovation as a guest during Ronald Reagan's televised State of the Union Address following the plane crash. This set off a tradition we see today still of presidents using ordinary citizens as talking points in their State of the Union Addresses. So it all started with Lenny. Interesting. Um, if you ever wondered why these individuals are referred to as Scutniks. There you go. Wow. Eagle One, the helicopter, in case anyone wants to know what happened to the helicopter, um, <laughs> it was restored, and after retirement of it, um, it was moved to the National Law Enforcement Museum. Both Donald Usher and Gene Winsard was awarded the Silver Life Saving Medal from the Coast Guard. And that is the Air Florida Flight 90 crash.
2: Oh my gosh, that was a doozy. It was a doozy, right? Yes. That was awesome, though. I can't believe... is this, the, this is the first plane crash we've done, isn't it?
1: No, we did... Aunt Veda's was a plane crash.
2: Oh, yeah, I mean, like, passenger planes. Though. Yeah, this is first passenger plane. Wow, but not the last. Oh, man, not the last. No, definitely not the last. That's... Like, I think that everyone who's interested in disasters has certain like disaster topics and themes that are like their thing and it's 110 percent plane crashes for me you
1: totally have to do a bridge collapse for me since this one kind of derailed my my i think that's only fair derailed is kind of a terrible word to be using <laughs> but so appropriate for a disaster <laughs> podcast
2: yeah are you yeah i owe you a bridge collapse i love it. i have one in mind i might do it next week
1: are you ready for some disaster recovery? What you got this week? Um not much
2: cuz I've had a real shitty week. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> um my husband says that I should I don't know why I just alternately refer to him as the audio guy Eric and my husband. It's all and the same tag. person, just so we know. <laughs> and tag, yes, yes. I don't have a husband, a boyfriend named Eric, and a, a hired audio guy. One guy. But wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> that is a lot of reverse thrusting. Oh, Melanie, <laughs> you are a disgrace. Oh, sorry. Um, I he he thinks that we should have like a an anti-recommendation for simple bank which has really screwed us over on some fraudulent charges this week uh but i'm gonna keep those bad vibes away Fuck you simple bank uh, fuck you simple bank you were awesome until you were not <laughs> but i am reading a book called the seven husbands of evelyn hugo i have no idea who the author is and i am Thoroughly enjoying it. See, she has a lot of husbands, like you. Like, uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Me? what well, you just on? said, I don't
1: have a, a boyfriend. And,
2: uh, oh, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. Uh, yeah, I think that as far as um, recommendation type stuff, that is probably all I've got this week. But it is really good. I'm not going to say too much about it because it's kind of... You don't want to spoil it. Hard. Yeah, it's hard to say almost anything without spoiling it. I will say it involves um, old Hollywood, and it is fiction, and it is a page-turner, in my opinion.
1: I'm really excited. I did order last week's recommendation, so I need to plow through that um, really fast so I can get um, the next one. But you totally suffer from great taste, so... I'm excited. I'm really excited about it for sure. Yeah,
2: that's how I got you as my co-host. Oh, so sweet. It's true. I'm actually not. It's just true. <laughs> you got anything else for me? That's that. I'm. I'm gonna leave it at that this week. How about you? Um,
1: I actually kind of have like a a two in one so i joined this facebook group a while back it's called you can make that into an earring and a lesbian would buy it (laughs) it started out as a a tag group based on the tiktok trend Uh, it's uh uh-huh it's so wholesome and wonderful. Is that a TikTok
2: trend? Because I can confirm that lesbian earrings have been a thing for a very, very long time. Long it, time just but I, it just wasn't called that before. It just
1: went viral like that saying yes. went viral. So I actually found this Facebook group from because I'm in a couple miniatures group which is also like
2: another like complete I love tiny things. I am absolutely zero percent surprised by that.
1: Did you see that little tiny frog I found that one time? Uh, frog mating season's the best when they're all, like, so tiny. I don't know. More. I don't
2: know that I did.
1: Oh, it's cute. Tiny frogs are the I'd best. i like to, though. So, yeah. So I found this group. It is, like, it's super inclusive group. Uh, listen to me. Like, if you're straight and you find yourself wanting to join this group, like, based on this recommendation, like, be on your best fucking behavior, Like, you are a guest in someone else's house.
2: Yeah. And,
1: like, I promise you this house is glorious. But, like, it's amplifying other voices that need to be heard, not straight people.
2: So don't embarrass me. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Don't fucking embarrass me. No. As, As the rules in our Horrible Ghouls Facebook group... Which, by the way, I don't think people know. There's a Facebook group. It's not just the page. There's a group you can join and talk to us and everyone. And it's very fun. And it's called Horrible Ghouls. But as the rules in Horrible Ghouls say, please be the person Mr. Roger knows you can be.
1: Yeah. Just be nice. Mr. Rogers. So I'm in this group. And the content is wonderful. If you can imagine it. It's there. Like, I actually probably should go in. I would love to see if maybe someone could do, like, some disaster-related earrings. You can totally... There's people that will do commissions for you. But I I bought my first set uh, from a maker that's in this group. And they came in. And they are the coolest fucking earrings I own. So, they're the bust of... You know, the Statue of David, the famous Statue of David. Mm -hmm. So it's the Mm -hmm. bust of David. and But on his face is like the iconic red and blue lightning bolt from David Bowie's Aladdin Sane album cover. So it's like two Davids joined together. It's just so fucking cool.
2: That's perfection. I need to live vicariously through you because I can't wear... Earrings, and I have loved lesbian earrings since before it was cool.
1: Oh my gosh, I just, I love them. I want them all. Um, so the artist, um, her name's Elizabeth, and she just opened her shop. There's not a whole lot on there, but what she has, super cute. She even has like um, little kitties, um, with pooper scoopers, like litter pooper oh. scooper dangly earrings, and they're. I I think I need to go back and get those too oh you know who would love
2: those who adelaide the ultimate cat lady their <laughs> <laughs> their birthday is tomorrow i should have gotten her Oh, some.
1: please tell her i said happy birthday
2: yeah i'm gonna put her in my disaster relief
1: oh yeah happy birth- she's my
2: favorite thing this week
1: she and every week she's my favorite thing this week too um <laughs> but yeah so the artist name is elizabeth um just opened her shop please check it out um I'll, I'll post a link to it it's the drawn otter.com
2: i'm super into that so yeah that's mine and may i may i also recommend if you need it and have access to it which i wish everyone did therapy i love therapy and i started seeing a new therapist this week uh
1: you're gonna have to give me like
2: very excited hold actually. my
1: hand and walk me through to how to like I think I don't go to therapy because I don't know how to, like, begin the process. Like, finding someone. Do, does my insurance cover it? Like, you know, the well, basic. depends ad- on your insurance. Basic
2: Tell ad- me about your insurance and maybe I can help you. Um, I have... You can just message me.
1: <laughs> we don't have to do it live on air. <laughs> do you want my social security number? Yes. <laughs> Say it right now. <laughs> Simple bank probably um, knows
2: it. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I highly recommend therapy. I, I'm i not unduly messed up or anything, but we all have things that we could stand to work through with a therapist. And if you have access and if you are able and if you have any reason, I really think that therapists should be like gps we should all have one
1: i love it that's a that's a great
2: that's a great recommendation i'm very 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 pro therapy (laughs) for all you've got something you need therapy about everybody does i think i have a lot of something so i'm definitely gonna message you after this okay (laughs) do it well i'm no insurance expert but my mom is so well i'll just send her all my deets too yeah send her your social send your credit card number <laughs> well this was a
1: long one so i probably yeah, should long but awesome probably should crawl off
2: to bed yeah you probably should all right sweet dreams or no dreams sweet dreams or no dreams
1: hey horrible goals. hope you enjoyed this week's episode if you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at marksafepodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your buddies about us, too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our MarkSafe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.